Lady Muleo on SAFM. All right, so you're still on the talk shop, taking your calls on 0891-104-207, looking at the investigative hearing report on access to housing, local governance and service delivery. I have on the line Commissioner Mohammed Amir Mia. He's the commissioner responsible for access to housing and access to justice at the South African Human Rights Commission. Commissioner, good evening. Welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, lady, and good evening to your listeners. Thank you for hosting me on your show. Absolutely. Great to have you with us. Let's get a bit of background before we start looking at the findings. Um, you know, where the work with the report actually started, I understand there was a national hearing held in February. Who was involved? What was the objective? Okay. Um, you know, the Human Rights Commission received a lot of complaints around service delivery issues uh, for a period of time. And so what the Human Rights Commission did was, instead of addressing each and every complaint, uh, it actually held a uh, housing investigative hearing, which was then held in uh, in February 2015. Hmm. That resulted in, uh, you know, that's why the result of uh, us putting and trying to get a bigger picture and to understand what were... You know, we wanted to get a deeper understanding and awareness of the issues um, that, uh, that the country faces, you know, mm. uh, and, uh, and, and and the development of appropriate measures necessary to mitigate such challenges in the future. So what we decided to do is basically to call all stakeholders into into the Human Rights Commission in Johannesburg mm. across the country. And here we invited the, um, the three provinces, the national government, uh, in the form of Human Settlement and COPTA, which is the Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, mm. uh, on the one la- on, on the one hand, the three provincial governments, uh, namely the Gauteng Provincial Government, the KwaZulu Natal Provincial Government, and the Western Cape Provincial Government, mm. and then we called the three big metros, um, that is the Johannes, the city of Johannesburg, the city of Etequini, that is Durban. Um, and also the city of Cape Town. Now, the reason why we did that was because, um, you know, we acknowledge that the rural areas in South Africa, uh, particularly those constitute, that constitute the former homeland areas, remain underdeveloped and resolve with poverty. Mm. So we also, the, the report was underpinned by the recognition of the phenomenon of urbanization as people migrate to urban centers in search of work, which has resulted in a city, in a failure by city to meet their needs. So what has happened is we then um, sent out this invitation in October 2013, informing all the respondents, and there were 10 respondents here, that on, you know, uh, given a set of questions around service delivery, and I'll amplify that a bit later, um, you know, they had to give us written responses by by the 12th of February 2015, mm. and then on the we analysed those those responses, and then we had this investigative hearing from the 23rd to the 25th of of of, of February 2015. Now, you know, the Human Rights Commission picked up that there was poor quality of housing mm. and a lack of accountability for private sector contractors for the quality of housing units produced. There was a lack of comprehensive and coordinated responses to the housing crisis for vulnerable groups. There was a growing housing backlog, 
the shortage of viable rental accommodation for poor and low-income households, mm. excessive use of force when conducting eviction, the failure by local municipalities to provide alternative accommodation or implement appropriate emergency housing plans, and housing developments which are usually located on the outskirts of the city, which is far removed from the economic opportunities for poor and vulnerable people, and expensive, of course, and the inability of the stakeholders, that is, the national government, the provincial government, and the local government to effectively work together. Mm. Now, that's what I'm sketching the background of the investigative hearings. Right. And and, and as a result of the the issues, uh, you know, it was not limited to the provinces and the metropolitan governments which participated in the hearing, but the findings and recommendations made in the report are therefore applicable to all provincial and local governments throughout the country. Mm. So that was the background behind we, our, our response to the investigative report that we had uh, launched on uh, last week's Thursday on the 19th of November 2015. Right. So you've, you've taken me through some of the, the, the greater findings, but I want to maybe start unpacking them a little bit more. Um, you, you talked about urbanization. That's something that we all understand really uh, you know, adding pressure in some of the urban centers in the country. Uh, but I want you to unpack some of the findings as to you know, what, what is actually happening when people are migrating into um, an, infert, in, an informal settlement or an urban township, the struggle with um, access to perhaps uh, uh, rental accommodation. What, unpack some of those findings for us. Okay. The, 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 um, I unpack some findings um, in the following way. Mm. That first of all, we found that there is a disconnection between the legal framework and the ability of local government to deliver access to housing and basic services. And the lack of effective and consistent implementation of policy and thus perpetuates rights violations, and it also then, you know, continues the cycle of poverty and inequality. Now, what I'm saying here is basically that here we have a constitution which is loaded as the best constitution in the world. We have excellent policies in legislation that one can think about, you know, and then we have the three spheres of government, that is national, provincial, and local government, including the organs of state that are working in silos, not working together. Mm. So that in itself results in that kind of a confusion in communities, you see, and, 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 and we find that problematic as a commission. We, we also say that, you know, given the global meltdown, the economic meltdown, it is, not, it is natural that people will gravitate to the centers of economic activities mm. where there is now a fight for scarce resources. So the urban housing in this regard fails to provide for a variety of needs to accommodate residents, and this also includes the single individuals and families. And while assessing the gas market, uh, that is, those persons who do not qualify for housing assistance and are un- unable to receive a bank loan, mm. that remains a serious challenge. Now, the, what we then basically saying is, you know, um, these these kind of um, problems are problems that can be dealt with if the three levels of government, the three spheres of government, work together to to you know to map out the bigger. Uh, so that they can accommodate these kind of interventions accordingly. 
Now, what we then saying is the housing policies and programs, they fail to address the needs of many poor and vulnerable communities, mm. including those with informal or irregular employment. And the inefficient implementation results in the ongoing denial of access to basic, basic services. Mm. Now, the, and then what, what happens in the, in the urban areas is the allocation of prime land, right, to facilitate low-income rental accommodation remains a challenge and appears to be compounded by the growing trend of urbanization and the lack of affordable low-income rental housing in urban centers, which has resulted in a growing informal and unregulated rental market, with many people living in deplorable conditions in abandoned and dilapidated buildings or backyard shacks in informal settlements. Mm. We then have, both of that is that we found that the resource and capacity constraints compounded by a policy disconnect continue to impact on the ability of local government to perform efficiently. And we again then say there's another problem added to this. Notwithstanding that there are mechanisms in place, there is an insufficient oversight and accountability exercise to ensure efficient delivery of services by municipalities and private contractors, which results in wasteful expenditure and a perpetuation of the rights violation. What we're saying here is even when contractors are given state tenders to build houses, they build houses of poor quality and mm. shoddy work, and they do shoddy work, and they get away with murder. Whether it's that is the poor, okay, robbed uh, of their dignity. And this is a concern for the Human Rights Commission because that control that's not there basically means that the state has to throw new resources to address old problems. And, you know, with the economy that is in such a, uh, a stressful uh, situation as mm. we know today mm. because of the global meltdown, we cannot afford to lose more money. And what happens then is government does not take action against these contractors. So what the result is that it's not only wasteful expenditure, um, the contractors get away with, with impunity, and the poor people suffer the brunt because where do they have money to buy bread, let alone them having money to, you know, fight for their rights and go to court? They don't have that money. Mm. So that's a problem for the Human Rights Commission. We are saying that there's excellent laws in place. For example, the Triple PFA, you know, Preferential Procurement uh, Framework Act, okay, which basically says to government that if a private contractor that deals with government, you know, uh, short changes government, you have a right, first of all, to blacklist this contractor and, uh, you know, recover your money. And thirdly, um, you know, you blacklist your contractor for a period of 10 years. Well, that's what the legislation says you must, you can do. Mm-hmm. It's not being done. So what happens is that the money is gone. The contractor runs away with this thing. The poor person is left with a house that's incomplete. So the government must basically use new resources to fix up the old problem. And this for us is an indictment because this is a constitutional promise that was given by the government of the day as far back as 1994 that, you know, they dedicated 1% of the GDP of the budget for housing. Mm. Now, if we have done the housing properly since 1994. Uh, we would not have these problems. You know, I can just give an example. Today, government has built um, 
2.8 million houses in the country. Yes. And since 1994. Yeah, since 1994. That has resulted in 12.5 million people getting accommodation roofs over their heads, okay, with dignity. Now, if we rigidly start to our program of ensuring that we give them good quality homes, the 1% has reached, you know, over the years has now expanded and increased to 3% of the GDP, mm. the budget, for this kind of program. So in other words, we do not have the luxury of lots of money to throw at the same problem. And had we done our homework properly, we would have been, we would have basically not even had a backlog today. So what's happening now is government has to do what we call a rectification program. The rectification program is a program in which all nine provinces and municipalities have to go back to the drawing board, identify houses that were incomplete, and then restart the process again by getting new contractors on board. Yeah, okay, Commissioner, what, you, what you've started to do is, is, is get into some of the recommendations that have come out of the report. And I want to um, maybe take a break, come back, and then, you know, go into some of the recommendations. You have quite a few as well that have to do with um, the way that ev- evictions are conducted in some of these communities as well. We'll look at that after this. Now, Lady Muleo on SAFM. You're still on the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, looking at the findings of the investigative hearing report on access to housing, local governance and service delivery. I'm chatting to Commissioner Mohammed Amir Mia, the Commissioner responsible for access to housing and access to justice at the South African Human Rights Commission. If you have questions, feel free to give me a call. The number is 0891-104-207 or send your SMSs to me. Send them to 34701 and those SMSs are charged at one rand each. So, Commissioner, before we went into that break, we were starting to look at the recommendations. And now this is what I'd like us to do. Um, you know, separate each of the recommendations as to, you know, how you address each of the stakeholders that were involved in the hearings. Recommendations to the National Department of Human Settlements, to provincial governments, to municipalities. Okay. Broadly, what we think the recommendations, we are saying that there should be an establishment of integrated and time-bound plans for housing development and provision of basic services. Uh, the provision of greater oversight and guidance from national and provincial government, as well as increased levels of monitoring and evaluation to ensure that services are delivered in an efficient and sustainable manner, together with responsible budget expenditure. And this must be also tightened up and aligned with greater measures of accountability at all levels. Mm. When we are saying that greater capacity development for local government must take place, particularly for poorer municipalities, and we are also saying in regard to the other municipalities that are functioning, uh, simplified and expedient processes are needed to ensure that municipalities are able to easily access funding required to respond to emergency situations on an urgent basis. And what we are saying that is very important is that the municipalities clearly linked to this is the accreditation and assignment processes that should be accelerated to ensure that the ability of municipalities to adequately plan and fund housing projects are brought in line with legal obligations. And then what we are also saying is that a number of policies that require further uh, consideration and revision to ensure that various needs are adequately provided for and that municipalities are not unfairly burdened as a result of unintended consequences which may arise. It is also in that regard important to understand that all policies and programs must accommodate all persons equally. 
and there should be no exclusion in some programs as was revealed during the hearings where we had non-nationals who had also rights, but their rights have been trampled upon. What we also say is very important is evictions mm. must be take, undertaken as an option of last resort. And the reason why we're saying this is because evictions by themselves can have a devastating impact on communities. It fractures established social support structures, it creates uncertainty and potentially destroys livelihoods uh, dependent on access to economic opportunities. So what we are then saying is therefore organs of state and private parties alike must be aware of the impact which evictions have on people's lives. And in this way, they must also ensure that a more humane and dignified approach is taken together with the necessary accountability measures for transgression or damages that may occur to a property in instances of forced eviction. Mm. Now, what we are basically saying, you know, our concern here is, for example, what happened recently in Hillbrow. And what happened not so long ago in one lay in the Western Cape. And I'd like our thinker, our, our, our listeners to, say, you know, close their eyes and just think about a problem statement. Imagine a child who's coming from school in the afternoon in the inner city of Hilbrow, yeah. walks through the streets of Hilbrow and sees as she goes home or he goes home, there's, you know, the road ends and the sheriffs taking the goods of, of people and throwing them down from the 23rd floor of a building. Mm. And that's devastating because now what happens if there's a cold, uh, you know, cold weather uh, that's, uh, that's prevalent, you find, you know, where do these people go? You know, they are so vulnerable. It, it, it's shocking because that's absolutely against the principles of dignity, which is a fundamental core value in our Constitution. Mm. Now, for example, what happened recently in Hillbrow and the court overturned the eviction there, who is responsible for those damages there? See? I mean, you know, we're looking at not only the, the, the poor people, we're looking at the elderly, we're looking at the vulnerable, you know, people who are in the vulnerable groups as mm. well. So what about the disabled mm. that live in the 14th and 15th floor and so forth? So we're saying that there can be a better approach and actually we think evictions must be undertaken as an option of last resort and must be avoided when communities will be rendered homeless as a result. Because there's pure case law to that effect that, you know, eviction should not result in homelessness. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. You know? Now, when do you think happen? What do you think happens on the ground? And there's no accountability. The frustrations on the ground start building up, you know? And we are then saying that, you know, human beings are human beings. People need to start talking to each other. We come from that culture, and I don't see why we can't resort to to negotiating, mm. uh, you know, around these kind of uh, issues. Does it really have to be violent? I don't think so. And as far as the alternative accommodation is concerned, the location for the alternative accommodation, the anticipated stay, services available in a new location, and recourse in the event that rights are violated and which subsequently occur should also be a component of such a meaningful consultation. And we think if that happens, right, uh, you know, it, it generally communities must be consulted meaningfully in all aspects concerning their living arrangements mm. in the provision of goods and services. And while simplified processes must be developed to enable communities to exercise their right to voice their concerns through protest action. Yeah. So you can see what's going now. You know, you can see the trend. So you get these evictions now. 
and then people are left homeless. Now, where do they go to? Now, it's, you know, uh, it's in the urban area of city. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. So let, let's do so, this, Commissioner. I have a caller. Jeff in PE is on the line and would like to ask you a question. Jeff, good evening. Good evening. Yes, Jeff. Thanks for calling. Okay, pleasure. Now, I just want to make a comment to it. I remember back in 1994 when this whole housing thing was arisen. Low-cost mm. um, <coughs> housing was was quite a large part of, of, the, of the construction industry's activity at that time. Mm. And there were big companies involved who were competent, financially stable, good quality buildings. That then just tilted away. They gave all the work to very, very uh, uh, untrained people, didn't do it properly, and the problem started happening almost within five years, the trouble started. And what I can't understand is why these guys are not scratched off the list and never used again. But no, no, you'll get the same contractor back there again. Yeah. Why did that happen? Yeah, I'll let the commissioner answer that, Jeff. Thank you so much for, for raising that. And that has also come up in one of the recommendations coming out of the report, Commissioner. Um, yeah, but this is 20 years later, you yeah. know. Yeah, There's almost millions and millions and millions of rent and houses mm, gone. Mm. Resources, money, people. It doesn't make sense. It never made any sense, sense, and it still doesn't make sense. All right, Jeff, thank you for calling, Commissioner. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I think that's a very concern, and... Uh, we are saying that, and I said it earlier in my opening remarks, there's excellent pieces of legislation like the triple PFA that basically guards against these kind of, uh, these kind of things from happening. Unfortunately, what government didn't do, government didn't, didn't, uh, enforce the legislation which they themselves created. If the triple PFA was, 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 was implemented correctly, what should have happened was the contractor should have been blacklisted. Mm at one level. And the blacklisting means that a contractor who does not do his work in terms of his contract with government, um, uh, you know, in terms uh, faithfully and dutifully, that contractor is basically placed on, you know, is blacklisted on the National Treasury database and for a period of 10 years. In other words, this person, either in his personal capacity or in his representative capacity, will not be allowed to uh, get any work from the state for a period of 10 years. But whose responsibility is it to make sure that that accountability takes place? I mean, part of the recommendations here have been on local municipalities, provincial governments, the National Home Builders Registration Council. Surely if the responsibility is then shouldered onto multiple organizations, that's when we have the fragmented approach. No, I'll give you an example. Where, where a provincial government is in, in, you know, where, where the houses are basically, the contracts for the houses are given from a provincial government, but the responsibility is with the provincial government. And I'll give you an example. Mm. Take in Limpopo, in 2008, there were contractors that were basically, that, that were also found wanting in terms of uh, green shoddy work. The provincial government took it upon itself in 2011, Mm. Then to put these contractors to terms to return the money and then re-fence the problem and get new contractors on board at one level and on another level get the, the contractor that was responsible was blacklisted on the National Treasury database mm. for a period of 10 years. Obviously within the framework of the rule of law. And it can be done. So the management of that process must be with the person who gives out the contract. So if it's a local government who gives out a contract and there is non-delivery right. or, 
it, it should be the municipality. If right. it's the provincial government that's involved, it should be the provincial government that, that is responsible for that. Okay, well, Commissioner, let's let's move towards wrapping it up. Another report that looks at you know the challenge of access to housing in South Africa. Um, how how are you going to ensure that you engage private sector and all of the government entities that we've spoken about in the findings of this report? Will there be another hearing? What happens now? No, thank you. I think that's a very, very important question. It's a very valid question as well. What the Human Rights Commission is going to do is going to take this report. That report is on, the, is on our website for those who want to uh, get, get a copy of the, it's on our, in the Human Rights Commission website. Mm-hmm. It's on the page report. Number two, what we are basically then saying is we are not going to keep on having another investigative hearing around this issue because now we have identified the problems and we have basically made our findings and our recommendations. So what we basically are going to do now is we are going to take this report, the findings of this report and the recommendations, and we are going to start engaging the National Planning Commission, um, the, the Portfolio Committee on Housing in Parliament, the Portfolio Committee for Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, that's COPTA, in charge of all 278 municipalities, and we're going to start engaging them and we're going to start saying to them right now, start closing up and tightening up your belt in order that poor people do not have to be, uh, you know, be the beneficiaries of, of poor service delivery. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. As well, a well, let's keep community. the communication lines open and we can report back to our listeners on how far you are. Absolutely. So and thank you very much to you and your listeners for giving us the opportunity. And uh, please, uh, our report is on the website www.sahrc.org. Commissioner Mohammed Amir Mia, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. A pleasure to you. Right. That's Commissioner responsible for access to housing and access to justice at the South African Human Rights Commissioner.